Observations on the Rights of Women. It's from 1818, one of the early texts of the 19th century American women's rights movement. Um, Professor Sullivan is here, as usual. Hello. Um, as I often do, I will ask you if you have ever heard of Hannah Mather Crocker. No, I mean, not until you mentioned teaching her. I had not prior to right. that. Not at all. No. Yeah. Not surprising. Uh, she's Cotton Mather's granddaughter, mm -hmm. first of all, as you may have gathered from her name. Name. Mm -hmm. um, she was uh, 
really, honestly, I would say that we haven't even quite hit a revival of Hannah Mather Crocker. We are close. They republished many of her most important writings in the last five years. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Fifteen. Well, let's say last fifteen years. So, uh, for political theorists, she returned to our radar in mm-hmm. 2006 okay. um, with an article by Eileen Hunt Botting, who, oh, yeah. remember her? Yeah, I do. Yeah, um, so she's a scholar at Notre Dame. She's done a lot of work of recovering 18th and early 19th century women in American political thought. Interesting. School uh-huh. scholar. So uh, Eileen's work helped bring Hannah Mather Crocker back into our world as political theorists. Um, she was written out of history. I'm going to talk just a little bit since no one knows anything yeah, about her. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You don't. Um, and so she was kind of written out of history, um, largely in the 19th century, in the the first sort of history of women's rights that uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan mm-hmm. B. Anthony, and Matilda Gage put together. Mm-hmm. They kind of wrote Hannah Mather Crocker out of it, or just didn't include her. Um, and probably the reasons for this is that Crocker was not a particularly strong <coughs> advocate for the political rights of women. As okay. we'll see here, a lot of how she is pitching the rights of women is in non-political ways, right? without okay. explicit politics. It's um, it's a little bit more um, in the vein of what we call now in political theory kind of Republican motherhood that really mm-hmm. emphasizes like mm-hmm. women's role in gentling men or mm-hmm. women's role in the household sphere. Right. That's not exactly, like, as we'll see, it's not so simple as that. Right, sure. Um, but it's, it, you could read it that way. You wouldn't right. be foolish to read it right. that way. I don't think, I actually think a, re- a more careful reading uh, reveals some of these complexities, but you're not, they weren't right. foolish sure. for writing her out. Sure. The other thing that n- needs to be kind of contextualized is the um, the sort of rabid fear of um, women's rights discourse that was um, connected to a kind of uh, francophobia uh, in the 1790s. So after mm. the French Revolution, okay. Um, there was like a flowering of the right, like okay, now we're talking about like equal rights yeah. for everyone, right? Yeah. You know, and then um, as there started to be a backlash on the French Revolution, as there's, there's, uh, there started to be a backlash of a lot of these kind of more radical, more radically egalitarian ideals. And so Hannah Mather Crocker writing in 1818 is writing having really come of age intellectually in that kind of, backlash if that makes sense yeah so what has shaped her thought is a more conservative like she's emerging this these ideas are emerging to her kind of against the tide of a of a pretty substantial backlash right does that make sense yes so in some ways it's not surprising that her that her thought is going to read a little more conservative yeah um like i said i think it's really interesting Uh Uh, there's a couple parts that we'll get to at the end that i think are really interesting and um there's even parts toward the beginning the first couple chapters that are that are i think also wicked interesting so that's i think the context that you the only context that you will need you will see echoes to the mary wollstonecraft 
Uh-huh. Uh, she is an interlocutor of Mary Wollstonecraft, so you will see lots of echoes of Mary Wollstonecraft. Oh, interesting. Um, Crocker explicitly, as the students will see when they read the whole thing, Crocker explicitly is kind of like, well, Mary Wollstonecraft is just really smart. I agree with her on almost everything, but I think she's a little too egalitarian. Uh-huh. But her reasons are really good, so uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a very interesting mm-hmm. moment, especially mm-hmm. when I th- Mary Wollstonecraft, seventeen ninety three, right? So Mary Wollstonecraft is one of the people that that backlash is really kind of pushing against, against right? right? So when right. you see Crocker being like, she's so smart on everything, I just don't agree with her on this one thing, but not because she's wrong, uh-huh, right? <laughs> it's so I think uh, it, I think that's just an right. interesting like how people navigate the constraints of their particular Time, moment. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, how people work with what they've got right. is just, you know, interesting. All right, enough context. Let's go to the text. All right. Oh, sorry. You were to read it right when I was yawning. Okay. Um, so. You do know we do these late at night, right? Yeah, this is our, like, raucous Saturday night here after we have had a full day and been to the gym. and Yeah. <laughs> like, so. Anyway. All right. Um, Okay, so page 75. Though there are appropriate duties peculiar to each sex, yet the wise author of nature has endowed the female mind with equal powers and faculties and given them the same right of judging and acting for themselves as he gave to the male sex. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, this seems like also appropriate for the time, right, where women are having to fight that they actually have rational thought, right, is still up for debate. And so... yes. Um, and to whom does she ascribe the, or to what, to whom does she ascribe that kind of equality? Like who, who gave the, yeah. the like God essentially, right? right? Yeah, the yeah. author of nature, I mean. Yeah, and I think that that's worth pointing out, right? Is that it is a, a, a kind like of a natural, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Um, Mary Wollstonecraft made similar arguments, if you'll recall. Mm-hmm. So this is this is Far not a more complex language though. Yeah, not this plain spoken not American style. Plain not this plain spoken. American style. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's a it, this is indicating a, a natural reason. Yeah. Right, even though she's going to like kind of concede that like sure sure like There's differences. The, the, in the like the appropriate duties mm-hmm. are gendered, mm-hmm. right? Mhm. But but mm, not because uh, of any defect of women's minds. Women's minds, right? Right, and not because of any different, um, not because of any different, like, like fundamental difference in in some kind of divine judgment, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's interesting too, I guess, in a certain regard, is that there's like the equal powers and faculties but then there's like the same right of judging and acting right that like women have the right yes to judge and to the same rights but different duties right yeah so it's an it's 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 interesting because so on the one hand it seems to give a lot away right with this well yes of course it's it is of course we there's divine sanction for this but also we have the rights. We have the same. Ri- I mean, it's okay. There's a, this idea, as you can imagine, 
this right. paradox is coming up over and over again. Right, which again, I mean, you feel like some of this is, I mean, the work to be done here is like, you know, the, like, like mm -hmm. the, what do I want to say? It's like, it would be such a radical upending of the apple cart to like, be like, actually, women don't belong in the house. Right. <laughs> right, I mean, like. Right, it's 30 years until you've got the declaration of rights of women in Seneca Falls. Right. And this very question that you're talking about roiled that gathering. Right. Right, it was a source of major conflict. So it's not like we right. were on the cusp of really solving. I mean, right. are we yeah. at all? No. Um, I mean, in today. Oh, yes. Right. No, I. There's still reactionary forces out there. Absolutely. Okay. So we are embedded in first two chapters are really deeply embedded in religious argumentation. And so the next card that you're going to read is a little bit of Mather. I'm sorry, Crocker. <laughs> um, a little bit of Crocker engaging in some biblical exegesis. Nice. In the great good. tradition that she was born to. She was born to. Okay, so page 78. The first woman must therefore have received her information about the apple from the tree of life from Adam, if she knew of any command. And she probably had heard of it by her answer to the serpent. Perhaps Adam communicated it to her as the injunction of their maker, but possibly with such mildness and indifference that she was not fully impressed with the importance of the command. Mm -hmm. Okay, don't, don't read the amazing. next one, right? Don't read, don't read that one just yet. Okay. So I like this and... And I, I wanted to, sh I wanted to, sh I, one of the reasons I wanted to teach Crocker this semester uh -huh. is because we read about Anne Hutchinson earlier, mm -hmm. and though a, a couple hundred years or thereabouts, 170 years separate Anne Hutchinson from Hannah Mather Crocker, mm -hmm. I think that it's worth mentioning that this kind of shit is what they were worried about <laughs> happening. <laughs> it, at uh -huh. Anne Hutchinson's Bible studies. Right. right. Right? So here she's taking the story of Adam and Eve, and she's like... It's Adam's fault, y'all. Well, this is interesting, <laughs> because... So the Bible clearly says God told Adam right. not to eat the fruit from the tree of life. And so the fact that Eve ate the apple... Mm -hmm. I mean, it, she wasn't getting God the didn't command. didn't tell her. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's, so this is the kind of, yeah. like, I think that... I, I like this because it illustrates in a pretty, like, it illustrates this quite well of exactly what was so terrifying about Anne Hutchinson and other women right. deciding on their own what the Bible meant, right? Yeah. Okay. So It's yeah, really great. Isn't it I funny? I love it, actually. Too, isn't like, it? With, possibly with such mildness and indifference. <laughs> so yeah. great. Dog so finish Adam. the... Uh, All right, so I'm on page 79, it does not appear from his own account that Adam withstood the temptation with more fortitude than Eve did, for she presented the fruit and he received it without hesitation. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely Adam's to blame here. Mm -hmm. Like, well, Now what's fascinating, what's fascinating about this, I think that's really interesting about this, and I hope that the students notice, I, I don't give you this here because I don't want to dwell too long on it for our conversation tonight. Sure is as you gathered there, there's a couple of pages that she does to break this down. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of concludes by saying, yeah, I guess it makes sense though that she was, that, that women were punished um, for this transgression. 
But the great thing is that once Christianity started, yes, yes, that made sense during what she calls the Jew- Jewish dispensation. Mm-hmm. But once we got Christianity, it's clear that God's quarrel with women was over because he gave Jesus to Mary, right? And so obviously, so crazy. isn't it crazy, right? Yeah. So like she gives, so there again, right? Uh-huh. Yes, of course, when, but sure, we've paid fine. our debts. It was really Adam's fault, but it's fine. I mean, you know, sure, sure. Yeah, I. So I, I like this a lot. I like a lot of. I like a lot of it. Um, I like what it's showing here about the sort of religious, the way that religious ideas have been have been used to sort of form the final backstop of lots of women's oppression, right? Mm-hmm. That like what what Crocker is noticing in 1818, right, is that like the reason we're not equal is because of some bullshit interpretation of original sin. Right, sure. And that's the biggest barrier to equality is this like deeply held belief that's tied to thousands of years of tradition, mm-hmm. which is frankly bullshit. Right. <laughs> if you just read it carefully, you'd see what bullshit it is. And even if you're not willing, yeah. like, okay, like, if you can't figure out that it's bullshit for yourself, right? then at least maybe you could see that it's time to let it go. Right. And that time actually was when Jesus was given to Mary, so definitely now. Thousand, uh, still, yeah, we're still talking about nearly 2,000 years. All right. Yeah. So that's the that's the the most explicitly and most kind of technically religious side mm-hmm. of the argument. Um, yeah, I guess it also is worth pointing out the s- sometimes subtle and not so subtle. You've probably noticed this throughout the 18th century readings that have been most uh, doggedly Protestant. Mm-hmm. Um, the ways that that. Protestantism is highly parochial and exclusionary and at times bordering on anti-Semitic. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, yes, certainly yes. explicitly anti-Catholic in, right, right. in many ways. Right. Um, and then in in many ways explicitly and implicitly anti-Semitic. Right. Right. So I think it's just worth noting that when we foreground the Protestant um roots of American right. political thought were we're not holding that up unproblematically. Right. Right, right. But suggesting that it is it brought part a lot of, of a lot of different things. And, and is an important source of exclusionary kinds of ideologies, what we called from the um if you remember the int- you didn't you don't remember this introductory lecture that I gave the students, right. but yep. a, a great source of of some of those, what we call ascriptive ideologies. Um, any rate, that's all. I just want to sort of, I've been talking a little bit about that Protestantism of the early American political thought, and I just wanted to emphasize that I didn't use that unproblematically. Sure, sure. Right. Well, okay. I mean, it's part of our national story. Indeed. You know. It remains for many people an important Yeah, part, part. of the national story, and... Um, yeah. Maybe it. Maybe we could move on a little from that in, in our national story and in the podcast. 
It's okay. Page 83. I don't know how far we're moving because divine grace is about to... Well, it never goes to... I mean, she's a matter. Yeah. I mean, it's never far from... All right, page 83. The offers of divine grace are equally tendered to both male and female, and all have equal right to accept the blessing. And if any judgment can be formed from the visible church, there is reason to conclude that women embrace the privileges of the gospel with as much or more energy than men. Mm -hmm. Right, so the foundation of her, the foundation of her argument for women's equality is fundamentally religious and is fundamentally Christian, really, more than just even right. kind of um, uh, um, abstractly religious. Or When she says the visible church here, is she talking about the like early church as it appears in the Bible, or is she talking about the like here and now the visible church? The here and now. Okay. Yeah, on earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It has a fairly technical meaning that I I don't think I want to wade into on a Saturday night after yeah, 10 no, p.m. That's, that's fine. I uh, I just was, wasn't sure whether she was, this was like a, whether she was going back to the Bible no. or whether she was no, just no, no, talking she about means where she's now. like, no, actually y'all ladies are the ones that are holding up these churches. That is partly what she's saying, yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah. Also interesting to just kind of recall that whole Anne Hutchinson affair. Right. right. And well, and like the fact that like women can't actually have official church leadership. And so like this is also a statement that is like that is like talking about what we would now call invisible labor, right? That like you know Yes. Yes, and it's very likely that you that her auditors at the time would have understood precisely yeah. what she meant. No doubt, and would have perhaps seen it as a as a little bit of a a broadside against church hierarchy, leadership, etc. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Hannah Mather Crocker herself uh, frequently gave lay sermons. Nice. Um, throughout her her life, mm -hmm. so there you go. There you go. All right, page eighty six and eighty seven. Women have an equal right with the other sex to form societies for promoting religious, charitable, and benevolent purposes. They must still estimate the rights of men and own it, and own it their prerogative exclusively to contend for public honors and preferment. Okay, wait. They still must estimate the rights of men and mm -hmm. own it their prerogative exclusively to contend for public honors and preferment, either in church or state. And females may console themselves and feel happy that by the moral distinction of the sexes, they are called to move in a sphere of life remote from those masculine contentions, although they hold equal right with them of studying every branch of science even jurisprudence. Wasn't this a wild sentence? It is a wild sentence. Yeah. A lot's going on there. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in that one. So it's like, we have equal rights, but like, we can't actually like... Wait, though. We have equal rights, but really what, what we have equal rights to are these 
civil society groups. Well, but not just that. Mm. Like, also studying every branch of science and even jurisprudence. the law, right? But, like, so I feel like what this is basically saying is, like, the first part is the part that you expect at this time and, I mean, even in some sense when I think about some of our friends that have more traditionally gendered relationships that where the women don't work outside the home tend to be involved in the charitable, religious, and benevolent purposes, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is, mm -hmm. like, still to this day, I think, a division of labor that we see as, like, a gender division of labor where it's, like, a sphere in which women can make meaning outside of the home when the home is their prime domain or whatever. So I feel like that part, while probably to some degree radical at this time, seems to me... It was... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, it seems to me to be, like, one where the ask is one that, you know, it's like the the joke that we always refer to badly and probably especially badly in a podcast, but my dad used to really like bad jokes, and he would tell this joke about how this priest we've kept tried, asking. I think we've tried to tell this on the I podcast think we have. before. The priest tries to ask, the keeps going to the bishop, and he's like, Bishop, I really want a motorcycle. I think it's going to really help me be able to do my ministry or whatever. And the bishop is like, no, like you cannot have a motorcycle. And so then... He goes back the next week, and he's like, Bishop, I really think that I need a motorcycle, and if you give me a motorcycle, I'll be able to travel around our parish and visit the, you know, shut-ins and go to the parish. And the bishop is like, oh, you cannot have a motorcycle. And so the following week, if this was my dad telling you, it would go on even longer, I think, but the following week, he goes to the bishop, and he's like, Bishop, can I have a radio? And the bishop is like, or maybe he asked for the motorcycle, and then it's like, the bishop says no, says, and then the bishop says no, and then he says, "Well, can I have a radio?" <laughs> the bishop says, "Yes, you can have a radio." And it's like that he wanted the radio all along, and so was just asking for the motorcycle. And I feel like this is one of those things where it's like the stuff at the bottom is like the motorcycle, right? It's like the big mm -hmm. ask, whereas like this stuff at the top is sort of like the radio, which is like what you know you can get, right? It's like in the realm of the achievable. But you, it's like far more. But reachable. here's the thing: is that you don't know that you can get it, right? So what? One of the big fights that Crocker was involved in was um, um, she wanted she thought that women should be able to join Masonic lodges and these kinds of so that's the society the uh, society. society. So she had her own society called St. Anne's Lodge, and it was modeled like explicitly on Amazing. Freemasonry, and it was for women and. And so, you know, in the one hand, on the one hand, sure, but on the other hand, what she imagined, the kinds of roles that she imagined for what these societies and charitable organizations and yada, yada, yada would be doing was, I think, a far more, I think she had designs for perhaps thing, per, perhaps activities that would have fallen outside the traditionally authorized scope of women's societies. Okay, right. sure. Uh, we'll come to this again when we get to Jane Addams uh -huh. and Whole well, House. Well, I mean, to some degree, it comes down to the bottom where if you're, like, having these, like, studying every branch of science, even jurisprudence. Yeah. But in the middle is this whole part that there's, like, but that we can't take any of the stupid public honors or, like, all the things that the men are out there, the men's glory. We can't take the men's glory. Just leave the men with their glory, and we'll just do... 
I think that as I, I read this in the context of the rest of the text, or the rest of the section of the text that this comes in, is that like, I read this as Crocker saying something like, basically men love to just jockey for this kind of status and stuff. Yeah, their glory. Their glory. And that's fine. Like, that's... I mean, those are trifling little social baubles, and mm-hmm. like we're doing the same shit. It's fine if men get the credit. Mm-hmm. But let me let's make sure that we're allowed to have our little societies where we study the law, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which would be probably again, we saw how terrifying this actually was, right? In the antinomian crisis readings from Cotton Mather, right? From her. Her grandfather. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool. I like this lady. Yeah, she's an interesting character. I'm glad that she has returned to... Um, I'm glad she's returned to political theory. In the 1960s, she got explicitly kind of like pushed out, and she was seen as sort of a Phyllis Schlafly type of okay. reactionary... I mean, this was the 60s, right? So in that view, in that wave of feminism and women's rights, someone who's making these kinds of arguments is seen, I think, mm-hmm. as insufficiently radical. Sure. Right. Well, I mean, in some moments, some people aren't helpful to draw from. That's exactly right. You know? That's exactly right. Sometimes what does Hannah Mather Crocker have to say to Shilamath Firestone, yeah, for example? Maybe nothing we'll read. right now, right? I mean... And that's cool. Like, you don't have to speak to everybody all the time. That's the great thing about history. And the great thing about time, it just keeps going. Keeps going. And, yeah, you stay where you are. Well, you keep going, too, I think. Well, until you stop. Until you stop. And then you stop. You stop. Then it doesn't concern you anymore. 92. A woman of real good sense only makes herself noticed by that which deserves to be so. She is independent of all those trifles which cause to weak minds a joy or affliction equally ridiculous. Free from those alterations of good and bad humor that disconcert friendship, she preserves a continual pleasing gaiety which sets her charms off better than the most studied decoration. The empire of beauty is short, but the dominion of virtue and triumphs of religion are great and eternal. Very much, it just reminded me, this part reminded me a lot of Mary Wollstonecraft as well, right? Right, yeah, yeah, the girls, you know, like... Modesty and um, she, this in this section of the text, she quotes Wollstonecraft on modesty and humility and the distinction between modesty and humility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like, I like this particular section. I think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, well, it's also radical in the sense that, I mean... This is still radical, actually. I think it's hard to read it that way because it so seems so silly in a certain regard. But I mean, like female body comportment is still highly. I mean, in one sense, right? What she's—if you read this one way, she's kind of throwing shade on a Beyonce-style feminism, right? Yeah. I mean. I think that's so far from what she's saying that I guess <laughs> it, when all I actually right, thought right, about that, it, I was like, wait a minute. Like, all right, all right. I mean, Keep I just going. read with my students, uh, any that we have in common, right, the like um, 
Cumbie River Collective, mm-hmm. and like they like actually are like there's like actual shade get thrown on Beyonce and that one, but like I think that this one is more. I take it as less that than more the like the sort of like the trifles which cause to weak minds a joy or affliction equally ridiculous is like that there's something about this that is the you know the most studied decoration right mm-hmm. this sort of sense i mean it is it's just about all of the things that women do and have done in different historical periods to present themselves to the mm-hmm. world right like all to ornament of, themselves to ornament themselves yes. and debt rate like i mean this and is, make I mean, themselves they're, they're acceptable pr- probably still wearing corsets and shit right like whalebone corsets i'm sure so like you know this is something about also the all the you know that sort of stuff and like that does still i mean it's not corsets anymore but you know you have your spanks or whatever instead so you know and she says women should be noticed for their virtue, yes. their moral uh, contributions, right? Yeah. All the things that the we... empire of beauty is short, but the dominion of virtue, great and eternal. All the things that we would praise men for. Right, sure. Right? I mean, that's partly what she's saying, is like the things that you think are admirable in men... Should be admirable. Should be admirable in women. women. And that's that. And you shouldn't admire women on a separate set of standards of admirability. Right. Yeah. Also, fuck the corset. Fuck the corset. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know, but... You know. I don't know. I I don't know enough about material culture of early 1800s to to weigh in here. We can get someone. I don't really know, yeah. Someone could look it up. You could read John Demos's book. Uh, I think John Demos is the material culture historian of early America. I don't know, too. I mean, I don't know if any of the work on her has done anything about whether she was actually... I mean, some of these people in there... Like, I mean, even... This book that we have about um, Georgia O'Keeffe that has been sitting mm-hmm. out on our various surfaces for a while. I mean, she was this, like, radical dresser. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, this is obviously in a much more contemporary period, but, like... Yeah, she had that, like, proto-Eileen Fisher style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so, you know, if you think about this in a sort of sense of, like, you wonder if some of these people actually were, like, was she actually dressing oddly or whatever for an, her time, a, right? It's a good I mean, question. It's, like it's an interesting it's an interesting question. I should look it up. You know, I mean, this collection that I took it out of is like published, like I said, in the last 10 years on University of Nebraska Press, right? I mean, uh-huh. we're not yeah. talking like... Yeah, big, big stuff. Yeah. Yeah, she's still a kind of pretty yeah. fringy figure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Some of that stuff is interesting to me, though, when you actually have these people that are like doing these what seems small maybe in retro like when you look at it in the current context i'm sure what she's wearing still looks like yeah but you wonder whether she was doing any she was actually doing things to her own you know like not wearing certain kinds of puts me in mind of uh john stuart mill and harriet taylor mill and the circles that they ran around in and 
even though it strikes us as contemporary readers as kind of like a stuffy Victorian right. women's rights stuff, like they were radical and ostracized right. for, I mean, they were kind of early non-monogamists. Right, yeah, yeah. And not exactly free love, but like, yeah. I mean, they were running around with radicals who were into free love in the 19th century. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we don't necessarily read historical figures as pushing against their right. constraints right. that are hard to, I mean, it's just so hard to imagine, to to really place yourself in another time. Yeah. I mean, it's just but so I, hard. I don't know. I, th- I think that's true. Yes. And, like, I feel like when I think about and imagine that of, like, that stuff that we were reading with Simone a while back about Georgia O'Keeffe where it's like, I think I actually can kind of imagine, right? And I mean, like, when I think mm. about the John Stuart Mill and them being, like, kind of free love, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, do, it like, it does seem insane, right? That that was, like, these, like, society people that were, like, doing this, like, radically different. Like, I think I can still see it in the, that lens of, like, how out there these people must have been Mm-hmm. That, like, some of them, like, obviously, like, you wouldn't look at George O'Keefe's, like, Eileen Fisher-style mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. pants or whatever and be like, whoa, radical, like, in today. Like, if you just placed her in New York City right. today, you'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. like, whatever, you wouldn't even notice her. But, like, thinking back to, like, when we were reading that story, I was like, that's pretty nuts, right? That, like, you know, mm-hmm. she was doing these, like... I should I should explore that about what... Kind yeah, I should explore that about Crocker. Did she marry? Yeah. Yeah. So she wasn't like Jane Adams or whatever in that regard of you know. No, she was not, to my knowledge, again to my which is limited. Right, I, I sure. should admit that. To my knowledge, she was not particularly experimental with like family organization, right? right? right in right. in that right. way, I think she does, her thought does reflect a kind of traditionalism about sure. family matters. Right. And it, it'll come to that just in a, right. in a minute. But there's there's an interesting twist on that. The last thing that I want to say before we move on from this section of the of the texts is, um, and I think it really maybe applies most to the, the card you just read, which is just the the degree of activity that's happening outside of like formal governmental yeah. stuff, right? Formally recognized politics. Mm-hmm. And so when, when Crocker is in a, in a sense in that last quote, kind of refusing to push hard for more political equality for women. I think that one thing we do have to, keep in mind is this is very much the world this is very much the America that Tocqueville visits which is Mm -hmm. a world of voluntary societies societies and a a really still at this time a very weak state still a weak state right and so a lot of the action that's happening is happening outside of formal politics like Mm -hmm. a lot of the work as you can tell, well, like and the church is still the a church huge is still doing a he- I mean, right. It's like that. I mentioned this before. Crocker yeah. gave a sermon on the fast day that President James Madison called in 1812, before the War of 1812. 
right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the I church mean, is still doing a whole bunch of social control. Yeah. And these voluntary organizations that Crocker says women should be in charge of and form for themselves yeah. are likewise doing lots of things that we now think of as state services, et cetera. Well, it and makes so, me even think of like the, the Little House on the Prairie books, right? Where yep. it's like you yeah. just see very little of the state in daily life. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's like expansion out to the West or whatever. But And I don't know what years those are supposed to be, but... Um, much later, 1840s. 1840. What is this, 1818? 1818, yeah. I mean, that's not much later. <laughs> well, 18, f- maybe even in the 1850s and 60s, because the railroad's part of the Little House stuff. Yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right that like Little House on the Prairie is a good is a good world to imagine to imagine the. And I mean, it, it shares some of the similar yeah. themes of. Even if it's modern, it's more modern than this. It's not. A, it's not that that. Not hundreds of years, right? Like fifty years. We do like a fun paper of Laura Ingalls and <laughs> different yeah. visions of women's yeah. equality, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ma. Ma Ingalls, yeah, for Ma sure. Ingalls. Ma Ingalls is a lot more like Hannah Crocker. Yeah. I would say that Ma Ingalls is really the Hannah Crocker <laughs> Republican motherhood figure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For yeah. sure. If you want to talk Ma Ingalls anytime, you know. <laughs> yeah. When our daughter was three through. Maybe five. We that went through it, man. every Little House on the Prairie audiobook, which also has prompts a lot of uh, conversations about race and uh, indigeneity. Yeah, Raci- racism. Um, but you know, good entryway for conversations with your three-year-old. Okay, page one fifteen. Mutual love must be founded on the basis of mutual friendship. Well, this also sounds like Wollstonecraft. Oh, good. I'm glad you remembered that. Without which life will have but few charms. The only things which can render friendship sure and lasting are virtue, purity of manners, and perfect integrity of the heart. Mm -hmm. With an elevated soul, it is highly proper that we should distinguish the friend from the companion. Here she is talking about relationships between men and women yes she's talking about them as being founded on this kind of virtue and these elevated souls and this idea of a marriage or a relation a marriage really i mean let's be real let's be real a marriage um in a way pushing both partners to their highest selves yeah isn't that nice? Yeah, also very radical, different from women as property kind of vision of. I should say, I should say, quite, quite radical, and that the that the. Yeah, that the man might be, I mean, as much as we look upon this as a retrograde. Um, notion, that the man might be morally improved, mm-hmm. by his relationship with a woman. Right is I think significant. I don't know. Maybe you could read at a wedding this like uh, mutual love must be founded on the basis of mutual friendship, without which life will have but few charms. Well, when I officiate weddings later, <laughs> you could pull on this one. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I think though, if you read the next line about virtue and purity of manners, you purity of manners. Them. I mean, you'd we don't lose even, them modern. Yeah, emotions. you definitely would lose them. But all right. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about that. Though I think that this gets into a little bit of like I know you were you seem to be you seem to be coming back to this idea that like this isn't political, but I mean, mm. I mean, I think that there's this sense that I guess you know, more contemporary feminists would say the personal is political. Yes. And I mean, I think that there is the part to not forget that if m most, if like 50% of the population is having some level of, you know, whatever between, you know, I mean, some women are still working at this point, right? So whatever sort of nice, rich norms, they, they're still working women in this period, right? Working in fields, working in, you know, Mostly whatever. working, the domestic economy of 18th century, they mostly were working in the household. And then um, were the, but there would have been still paid servants, or no, this is slaves? Like, what's we're In Crocker's in world, so in Crocker's world, likely Crocker and women of her social station would have had servants. Right. Um, and would have had, would have been probably women, poorer women, right? Who also then had to go back and work. That's what I'm in saying. Their household. So some some people, even in this, some women, even in this time, are working, right? Like, mm -hmm. the, but that a huge chunk of women, their entire like, the institution that matters the most in their life is the family. Correct. Right. The, the family is the institution that is defining all manner of things about their lives. Mm -hmm. So I also think that it's, yeah, not, it is political to be making claims about the family because the family is actually a really important institution. And yes. even though now political scientists tend to have sort of like, it's as the social sciences become, became more specialized, I think sociologists and maybe anthropologists mm -hmm. are more likely to study the family, the family yeah, right? Sure. But I think that, you know, broadly the social sciences still think about the family as an important institution, right? Important primary um, unit of socialization into yeah. norms. And, and, and all into kinds of, right? All kinds all of things. Kinds of things. And, a, and a side of power. Um, power and, for sure. Know, so, uh, just I, I, as a way of underscoring that point, I want to acknowledge that by even as late as even as late as to go back to John Stuart Mill, even as late as the 1860s when Mill is writing this idea of a what he called what he termed a companionate marriage right. was still yeah, radical. Yeah. Like right. the idea that he right. was in love with Harriet Taylor because they held a lot in common and like they were intellectual companions right. and that he valued her intellectually was radical. Right. And that he thought that that was the proper model of a marriage right. was radical. Right. So that's still 50 years down the, down the line from her. Right. That's still quite radical. Yep. So this is not at all, you know, she's kind of on the cutting edge. Right. Okay. You can read the next one. I think this is my last one here. Really? It is, yeah. What does it say? It is from page 121. It says, It is a woman's reasonable right to partake with man in all the vicissitudes and changes of life and faithfully support their mutual interest as by the reciprocal exchange of kind attentions that they will secure that love and affection. 
Sorry, this is a long sentence. I think I got a little lost. Okay. It is a woman's reasonable right to partake with man in all the vicissitudes and changes of life and faithfully support their mutual interest as by the reciprocal exchange of kind attentions they will secure that love and affection, which will eventually constitute the permanent love of our neighbor as ourselves, agreeably to the golden rule of equity, which implies that love, which will produce the affection of benevolent and generous sympathy, that shall interest the heart in the misfortunes of our fellow creatures. Wait, so you didn't have this one from page 116? Uh, oh, I did. Sorry, I think I must, it must have gone stuck to the one before. Yeah, because you got to read that one from okay. 116. This one from 121 is very confusing. Anyway. Read this one from page 116. All right, sorry, sorry, sorry. Because, it, 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 I mean, it's a bummer that you read that one because uh, this one from 116 was like so on the money of what you were saying. Go oh, ahead. Well, good. Well, the other one <laughs> was confusing anyway. Go so. ahead and read it. This sure like, we had the flow so well. It was like, wow, I can't believe you're saying that because she's about to, to say, say just what you were saying about the family and politics. All right, All right. So wait, the surest foundation to secure the female's right must be in family government. Yep. As without that, women can have no established right. <laughs> the... Something they must, this, maybe this must be the touchstone of the matrimonial faith. And on this depends very much the safety and happiness of a free republic. Right. Well, there you go. Right. That's I exactly agree. what you're saying. I agree with her very That's much. That's too bad so. they got stuck there, right? Yeah. It's okay. But yeah, so Mav, so, so Crocker, sorry, just keep pointing the caller. I mean, um, very much contends that the family and the organization of relationships between men and women in the private sphere is a political space. Right. She's yeah, not going to call it that exactly, right? Well, she does. She says the foundation of, of rights is family government. She right, I guess she calls it family, family government. government. Yeah. And without that, a woman can have no established right. Right, I mean, what is, I mean, I guess the claim there... Um, this depends very much the safety and happiness of a free republic. I mean, this is a bold political claim she's making there. Right. So have your fucking titles and your glories in yeah. public, but as long as yeah. we have equality in the home, mm -hmm. we have... I mean, she's asked for more than equality in the home earlier, right? I mean, in her society and her science and jurisprudence and, she like, whatever. Indeed. But, I mean, I think that, like, she's not wrong, especially in this moment, to center, like... That that some of this change has to happen in in the family because that's where just so much of the well have you seen this stuff not to jump too far into the twenty first century but have you seen this recent book about domestic violence no and the relationship between guns and domestic violence no and yeah it's been written up in a few places um, I read a really powerful review of this book in the New York Review uh, earlier during the pandemic. But it's like when you when you think about actually how much solving gun control would save the lives of so many women, right, who live in abusive relationships, yeah. right. The politics of family and the politics of relationships State, between yeah, yeah. men and women, right. It's like it. It's a re it's it's a real deal. Yeah, and like it's high stakes. And it's connected to, like, 
the organization, some of what happens in households reflects some of the larger vexations of political life. Yeah. Right? And so to to make claims about what's happening inside these four walls is to make claims about what ought to be happening in the republic at large. Yeah. It's a cool book. I mean, it's a it's a very um it's a very interesting book. And so it seems I haven't read it, to be honest. Read oh, the domestic reviews. violence. Yeah. Book. I was like, what are you talking about? You definitely have read this. <laughs> Cotton Mather or the Mather Cocker? Yeah. Crocker. 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 Betty Crocker. Not Betty Crocker. I mean not, there's no relation so far as I know. If there is, that would be Funny. amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Uh, All right, why don't you finish, why don't okay. you see us out here? I don't here. know, this, but this quote... I think it's going to make actually I, a little more sense. I think it's going to make a little more sense. I can't actually yeah. parse this. It's like so, It's all just clauses. Oh, come on now. It is a woman's reasonable right to partake with man in all the vicissitudes and changes of life. Mm-hmm. Okay. And faithfully support their mutual interest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. As by the reciprocal exchange of kind attentions, they will secure that love and affection which will eventually constitute the permanent love of our neighbor as ourselves. Agreeably, so this is like going on what you just said, right? Is this like, don't beat your wife? Agreeable to the golden rule of equity, which implies that love, which will produce the affection of benevolent and generous sympathy that shall interest the heart in the misfortunes of our fellow creatures. Mm That where men and so so, if if men and women continue to have these shitty marriages, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's clearly not they're not going to be able to love their neighbors as themselves. We're going to have a far worse world, and we will have no interest in the misfortunes of our fellow creatures. That our society is debased where by bad marriages, by bad marriages, <laughs> right? I mean, it's amazing. That society suffers Bad where man. men treat wives as property yeah. and where men denigrate women's possible contributions to their lives. I agree. Or, and where, where men see women. I mean, I think that it's important to remember. So she's got this. I didn't, I didn't have this. There's this hilarious. Well, I mean, in, in this part, she's also extending. They read Adams eventually, right? Yeah, they'll I mean, read Adams. It's like. They won't read Whole House. They'll read Democracy and Social Ethics. They, the, I feel like there's something here then where it's like, it's like that the household teaches men and women. But in this case, I think she's calling out men, in fact. But like that the household teaches a lesson about how to be in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, that it's like, we were just talking about this earlier today. So like, how many people who don't treat, who don't teach their children to be kind? Right. Like we did just have that conversation, right? Um, yeah. So, like, the house is like actually where the household is. Where. Yeah, yeah. We were in fact talking about the feeling, understanding the misfortunes of our fellow creatures and being yeah. kind and. Yeah. Mm. And Crocker is like, well, how are you going to learn that shit? Yeah, if the man expects that, like, 
he married that. I mean, she's got this line. I didn't have this line. I didn't. I didn't quote it for you, but where she's like, she's, <laughs> she's like, if she secures, <laughs> when a woman is secure, she's like a woman can like can tame her man's nighttime rambles and like secure secure her generalissimo. And, then, and she, if she does that, she should be installed as like the chief of her garrison or something. It's like the most, what? it's the craziest sentence. I was like, man, there's no way I'm going to put that one on the card. It's going to be too, it's going to be distracting. <laughs> um, but she's, in this instance, I mean, she's partly talking about actual faithfulness and fidelity. Right, right, right. right. That like, that men's tendency to turn away women after they have left the empire of beauty. Uh-huh, right, yeah, yeah. And find younger women to, right. you know, start secondary and tertiary families with. Right. Um, so long as that shit's still happening, society is fucked. <laughs> right. I mean, that's uh-huh. kind I mean, it's one way of reading what she's saying here. Uh-huh. And that men and women should stay together through uh-huh, the, vicissitudes the vicissitudes of life. And changes of life. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I feel like like the what makes it it's like, I mean that part is like I don't know how long those like kind of like marriage vows have been. That are that kind of what we think of as these like traditional marriage vows. That'd be interesting. I wonder when those Uh, come around. I don't know. We're we're running low on time tonight, so I'm not gonna be able to look it up. But right, I mean I don't know if you guys think about this, but the like. What is that traditional marriage vow like to have and to hold sickness and health, right? And like that kind of like it's my third Google search result search suggestion. Traditional wedding vow. <laughs> I started with traditional. That's amazing. Isn't that funny? Um anyway that so that part sounds kind of like what I think of as being part of like things that we have in our tradition of what commitment looks like but this the next part about like the support their mutual interests mm-hmm. i mean that mm-hmm. definitely doesn't sound That's like very different right marriage vows right like yeah well it is like wollstonecraft i think tying that like the mutual interests to the love and affection right mm-hmm. of, like you know if you actually just like your partner, like that will help maintain that love and affection over time. That's amazing that that was ever radical. It's amazing that it, we radical. could still learn from that today. <laughs> all right, so um, we'll talk about this later this week with you all. I'm gonna just kind of start to, to wrap things up. This gives you just kind of a flavor of where American political thought was treating this question about women's equality and women's rights in the early part of the 19th century uh, from a thinker who I think of as very much kind of out of the revolutionary generation. She's in some ways, in some ways, I, I think of her still as kind of an 18th century mm-hmm. thinker. Um, and so this just gives you a little of that flavor. Uh, it'll be interesting. I've got later in the semester, at the end of the semester, I've got Shilamith Firestone. Mm-hmm. And Fun. I I like, uh, we may, 
it'll just be interesting to think about those two thinkers in dialogue oh, with yeah, one another totally. as we start to really radically reimagine the family right. with Firestone. Right. So just partly we're we're kind of planting um, seeds here or marking. It's like kind of like what we're doing is it's kind of like just to pro, just to prolong the domestic metaphor. It's kind of like we're having we're like backing the children up against the wall and marking their height or whatever. Well, I mean, I I don't know about that. But <laughs> I don't know what you're even what that means. But we're just seeing how I mean, things grow, you know. <laughs> well, like I mean, Shulam with Firestone, like and she, it'll scoop us on this podcast later for Firestone. I, I'm not. Well, I was just gonna say, still, it's like talking about the family in the 1970s. Like still talking and still talking about romance. Still talking about how the myth of romance fucks women up. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I think that this is not. I guess it's like that way in which it's like. To, I don't know that we have to. I know that, like I said, that in political, the field of like, especially empirical political science, that we think less about the family than some of the other social sciences. But like, the family is still political, and like, you know, has was political in eighteen eighteen, was political in eighteen whenever Adams' 90s or whatever, whenever Adams is writing, mm-hmm. was political in the 1970s and is still political in 2020. Like, it's not like that stops at some point, even if we have largely delegated its study to other disciplines. Sociologists. I mean, but feminist political theorists would, um, you know, I think still take up issues of the family. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So uh, that's a wrap for tonight. I look forward to talking more in detail with you all this week and um, hope everyone had a nice weekend and look forward to seeing you on the Zoom. Bye.